My name is Alexander Medic, and you are listening to Disrupt Development, the podcast that shares inspiring stories of disruptive thinkers and doers from global development. In the Disrupt Storycast, development professionals tell stories. Stories about transformative ideas or innovative projects, impactful products, groundbreaking systems or new partnerships. In this episode, Julio Garcia Martinez shares his journey of how he came to work in humanitarian innovation, a journey that is marked by inspiring visits to refugee camps in Nigeria, South Sudan and Myanmar. They also figured out um, that the pools with waste were ending up into an area which was going to be concentrated by bug farms, insect farms, and the insects would basically feed on the waste, degrade it much faster and eliminate the odors and basically, yeah, it's an ecosystem service. This was brilliant. I was really, really impressed. Julio works at ZOA as a change manager and innovation coordinator. ZOA is an international relief and recovery organization supporting vulnerable people affected by violent conflicts and natural disasters in fragile states. With experience in the energy, environmental, development and now humanitarian sector, Julio enjoys exploring the challenges shared by all of us. Collaboration, mainstreaming processes and adopting innovative solutions to wicked problems. Today I want to tell you your, a story about how I came to work in the area of humanitarian innovation. You could say that this happened pretty much by chance because this was not my original role. As innovation coordinator, I am responsible to basically help the organization become more innovative, help disrupt and to transform SOA into an organization that is able to include other perspectives, technology, processes, um, not for the flash, flashy, fancy tech event, itself, not because it just sounds more appealing to millennials, but because innovation does have a more, does have more impact in people's lives. And the way I saw it was through my, um, through my previous role, which required a lot of traveling. I was basically rolling out a new system, which by itself for us was quite innovative. And in doing this system rollout, I was required to travel to offices on a monthly basis even. It was very intense. And every time I could, I would try to contact uh, the people in the, in the offices and they would uh, give me a tour of the projects that they were implementing. They're called field visits. And they are basically like the best of the benefits in my job. I, I love it. Being able to see how, you know, an organization really works in the field and the commitment and the recognition that the people recognize the, the, the staff of our organization and they really come and, and communicate and, you know, shake hands. This is really fantastic. And this is how I started to see that there were so many opportunities for us to do more. So... Some of the examples that I that come to my mind was, for example, when I was in uh, I was in Nigeria. We are in Nigeria because of the Boko Haram. Uh, think of the Al Qaeda, 
basically a terrorist group, but it's called Boko Haram and is really present in that area of uh, um, North East Nigeria, which is where we are based. Boko Haram has basically been gaining uh, terrain and it displaces a lot of people. And, well, putting it in very blunt terms, they take over villages, uh, they recruit men or they kill the, those that resist, they mainly recruit kids and they would uh, abuse or really, uh, yeah, kill lots of the female elderly. So you have big, big mobilization of people. And when I was visiting the camps in the area of Maiduguri, we were very proud because those projects were about how have we, for people that were literally in the bush, in some of the driest landscapes I have ever seen, there were uh, oases, so to say, that we implemented. So our response was in the area of WASH, which stands for Water Sanitation and Hygiene, on a very, it was a very common in WASH intervention, which is the digging of wells, the digging up of wells. Now, our teams were very proud because those wells were powered by solar panels, which means that when the well was, um, or when the reservoir was coming to an end, there was a sense, a sensorial mechanism, which would trigger the pump which was powered by, electric, by, by by solar energy. However, and this just happens, the pump got broken. And when I came to visit, it was very disappointing uh, because, well, the colleagues that <laughs> had talked about it so much, they realized just then that the pump had been broken for weeks and people were actually, yeah, Basically, the biggest feature of our intervention was not really working because people from the camp were not able to repair that. They didn't have the knowledge, they didn't have the, 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 the tools, they didn't even have the organization governance mechanisms to do it. So instead of having five working wells, there was one working well, which was the good old mechanical pump. I was not seeing this kind of problems with, you know, an innovation point of view, but to me it was uh, like a seed on the ground. Another example was also in Nigeria when I saw the cash and voucher distribution, which used to be very messy, which used to be very, I mean, you're in, in, in a certain way, distributing cash is just literally giving out paper notes. But we did it in a more modern way because we did it while using biometrics where people could identify with fingerprints and they had a card where they would show their face and everyone was appointed on a certain date and everything was regulated with an app. This was a very innovative way to more orderly distribute cash in this, in this region. And that was working and that was really, really nice to see. Another lesson was when I was visiting Myanmar. I was in the border with Bangladesh, which is known for the displacement of a minority that has been prosecuted lots of 
lots of campaigns to basically stigmatize them and it's very complex uh, of course this this topic but basically these are the Rohingya camps and I was visiting several camps not only Rohingya camps also Buddhist camps because there's also Buddhist people that are displaced and I was also seeing how we were running out the facilities in the camps Facilities in camps are, for instance, how do you distribute the food, what kind of uh, canals have you dig up for the waste to go, how is that, um, how are you building up latrines. And to me it was really interesting to see it on the ground because you really see the importance of, of professionalization. I, see, I saw in uh, not only in our camps, but in several of the camps run by other organizations, a lot of um, inconsistencies. So for instance, the, um, let's say that the project demanded that you build latrines also accessible via a wheelchair. So you put a ramp, but the people that build the ramp, which are mostly workers from the camp itself, they didn't consider that, you know, there needs to be a, a very precise inclination for a ramp to go up. They built a ramp that <laughs> no one, even I, I would say a paramedic Olympic, wouldn't be able to climb. It was very, very steep. So that ramp didn't make any sense. So yeah, probably innovation here was basically to, you know, stick to the, to the technicalities of a ramp design for a latrine in this context. But what really flashed me out in this visit to, to Myanmar was the fact that one of the camps that I was visiting was really smelly, really full smell. A camp is a very nasty place because you really don't have um, you really don't have infrastructure because putting infrastructure means you're going to stay long and nobody wants to stand in, uh, to invest in infrastructure because it doesn't make a lot of sense. So you dig canals for the waste to go and the, the canals were not really working because of the inclination of the of the area. It was way too flat. So all of the waste was stagnated. That was a bad example. And another example of another camp that I did visit was totally the opposite. Not only did they check that the inclination was correct they also figured out um, that the pools with waste were ending up into an area which was going to be concentrated by bug farms insect farms and the insects would basically feed on the waste degrade it much faster and eliminate the odors and basically yeah it's an ecosystem service this was brilliant. I was really, really impressed. And that was another one of the seeds that inspired me to go into this type of work. Another one was, for example, when I was in Liberia and I was with a colleague uh, who needed to scan something for me, but the scanner was broke and there was a pile of documents in a scanner, you know, the good old scanner that is the size of a professional copy machine. But I told him, why don't you use my phone? Because I have a scanner in my phone. And he didn't think of it. And to me, that was the, the, the interesting part. How could you use your own? You can, you obviously, you have a scanner apps in your phone, but you can even, you, you don't even need a scanner app from your phone. You can use your own camera. 
and take a picture of the document and that's a scanned document so we basically spent five minutes downloading a, a, an app which is free to scan and he would be able to catch up at a much faster rate that's another way you know that you can get inspired by simply applying good old but um, solutions to problems that suddenly you see that are not uh, yeah they don't seem to have a solution straight away I have several of these. My, my last one uh, was a very, very nice uh, one when I was visiting an area in the border of South Sudan and Ethiopia. This was a project uh, around peace building. Basically, you have a lot of movements of people and there are a lot of raids and there's lots of enemies for generations going back for a long time. And the project here believe it or not, was concentrated around the organization of sports events. Mostly volleyball for women, mostly soccer for men. And it sounds a little bit funny, ingenious, maybe even ridiculous, but this was one of the most successful peace-building projects in the region because through the sports feeling the hate was turning into something more constructive which is competition and you always have this sports related let's say value which is you know the fair play and people that would kill each other in certain circumstances were able to be next to each other in a friend well friendly in the end it was friendly of course a sportive event which is a match of volleyball or football and the way we were supporting it was we're organizing, you know, clearing up an area so that there is a field, that there is the basic infrastructure for a net, and for the gates, for the goalkeepers, uh, sponsoring the uniforms, the balls, all of these kind of things. So how, to me, it was fascinating to see how something that is so childish as a game, as a sports, was so impactful for such a serious topic as recurrent conflict and killings in a very conflicting region. That's how I got really inspired to work in SOA and eventually bargained and, and lobbied internally to please, please let me dedicate myself uh, to explore these kind of approaches and see how can we how can we do more through different interventions and through collaboration with other parties. Thank you.